fasten your seatbelt. I am taking you for the ride of your life. I'm going to show you what this car can really do. Are you ready? I am ready. Hang on. Okay. Here we go. Hold on to your butts. Forget him, kid. To infinity and beyond! It might be a tumor. It's not a tumor. It's not a tumor at all. So you can go ahead and ask me what you're going to ask me, and my natural response could be to get offended. So well, fine, let's talk about it. Any thoughts of, of your own on this matter? Or do you, is that your thing? You come into a bar, you read some obscure passage, and then pretend you, you pawn it off as your own idea just to impress some girls? Just another American who saw too many movies as a child. Yeah, well, you know, that's just like uh, your opinion, man. All right, all right, all right. You're listening to the 30-something movie podcast. One movie each week, 30 years in the making. It is the 30-something movie podcast. It's John, it's Pat, it's Bo, it's Dennis, it's The Crow. Gentlemen, how are you doing? Excited to talk about a great movie. I I, I know, I said gentlemen. You got a weird look on your face, Dennis. I said gentlemen, but you can answer too. I know, I was like, the the old three (laughs) stooges who walked in. Who walked in? (laughs) I'm sorry, Dr. Howard, Dr. Fine, Dr. Howard, how are you? (laughs) We're fine. Howard, Dr. Fine. Yes. We graduated with the highest temperatures in our class. There you go. Well, this one is The Crow, so I've been looking forward to this one for a while. This was one of my favorite movies of the 90s, so I'm excited we get to get around to this one. Uh, not at the same level as, as, you know, four years earlier being like, The Crow! I'm looking forward to The Crow. That's the one I'm looking forward to. Like, not pat levels of excitement, but I really, really enjoy this movie. It's, so it, It's really hard to hit that pat level of excitement. It is. I mean, Pat's level of excitement graduated with the highest temperature in his class. Indeed. That's, that's yeah. true. That's true. So, since this is our first week in the month, this is our month of vengeance movies or Rewenge movies. First month, or first week in the month of February, we are going to hop in that DeLorean and we are going to head back to 1994. When this baby hits 88 miles per hour, you're going to see some serious. All right, so this month in February of 1994, uh, February 12th, some top news here. February 12th, The Scream by Norwegian painter Edvard Munch. The 1893 pastel version was stolen in Oslo. Uh, And I'm sure a lot of people screamed when that happened. February 28th, the Brady Law was passed, imposing a wait period to buy a handgun in the USA based on the, the Brady Bill and all that went along with that. Some famous births. We had actually quite a few famous births during this month. February 1st, the British pop singer Harry Styles from One Direction was born in Redditch, England. Uh, February 6th, the English actor Charlie Heaton, who played Jonathan Byers in Stranger Things, was born in Leeds, England. And February 23rd, the American actress Dakota Fanning who was in I Am Sam and Man of Fire, was born in Conyers, Georgia. So quite a few people born. One death in particular that I wanted to point out on February 6th, uh, the American comic book artist cartoonist Jack Kirby, who worked on X-Men, Spider-Man, 
uh, DC characters, Hulk, Captain America, um, died at age 76. So a bunch of the stuff that you end up seeing, I mean, the whole character of Darkseid that you see in the Justice League movie and um, a lot of that stuff was uh, Jack Kirby stuff. And he did a lot of work with X-Men and, and all that. So big, huge name in comics. I mean, up there with Stan Lee. So if you are, you probably know Stan Lee if you, you know, watch a Marvel movie that was ever made. Um, but Jack Kirby might not be as familiar to you, but he was a giant in the comic book world. Top sports, we had the 44th NBA All-Star Game at the Target Center in Minneapolis, Minnesota. The East beats the West, 127-118. The MVP was Mr. Scottie Pippen from the Chicago Bulls. And on February 27th, the Winter Olympic Games close in Lillehammer, Norway. Top books for the month of February was Disclosure by Michael Crichton and Accident by Danielle Steele. Top movies were Ace Ventura Pet Detective, starring Jim Carrey, Sean Young, Courtney Cox, Tone Loke, and Dan Marino. Laces out, Dan. (laughs) And also another top movie for the month was On Deadly Ground, starring Steven Seagal and Michael Caine. Uh, Giants of acting right there. Top songs were All for Love by Brian Adams, Rod Stewart, and Sting, and The Power of Love by Celine Dion. So a lot of love in February. Makes sense. It's Valentine's month. Mm-hmm. So. All right. So we're going to jump on into our trivia pursuits. This section of the show is where we give you a little bit of background information on the movie. We break the movie down into 10 major moments for you to kind of give you an overview of what's going on in the movie if you haven't seen it or haven't seen it lately. Then we've also got some trivia stuff in this section. We give you a quick synopsis, play the trailer audio for you. And then after that, we get on into our deeper thoughts. And that's where we kind of share our opinions on the movie, even though we jumped uh, a little bit and started sharing ahead of time. That's okay. We're we're all friends here. We're all fine here now. How are you? Yes. What's your operating number? Yeah, what's your, yeah. Boring conversation. Anyway, this movie came out on May 13th, 1994, rated R, with a runtime of one hour, 42 minutes, directed by Alex Proyas, who did Dark City, another amazing movie, Mm -hmm. and iRobot. I actually can't wait to do Dark City. I really like that movie, and I have not watched that one in a while. I believe it is on the Blu-ray shelves back here. Oh, I guarantee it's it's on the Blu-ray shelves here somewhere, but yeah, I really enjoy that movie. Great film. Yeah. When I was... I'm going to paraphrase the Bible and do this in such a way so that I don't insult Pat at the same time. And And I'm not saying this to belittle the movie I'm going to reference. Nope, um, I know what you're going to say because you, know you told me. Okay, when yep, when you, it's all good. Okay, all right. Uh, when I was a child, I I spoke like a child. I watched the Matrix Matrix like a child. I enjoyed the Matrix like a child, and I still enjoy the Matrix. But when I became an adult, I watched Dark City, and it blew mm-hmm. my mind, and I really really enjoyed it. But I still also really love the Matrix. Well, and, and, and Dark City was a pretty big influence on The Matrix, yeah? Yeah. Well, they both came out around about the same time, so... Oh, okay. Maybe yeah. it wasn't a really big influence. Uh, let's see. Well, no, Dark City was... Yeah, Dark City was 98. It came out the year before. Okay. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I couldn't remember whether you told me it was an influence upon or similar in the vein of... I, I, think. I would imagine that the screenplays were probably getting thrown around around about the same time. 
would be my guess. Okay. But yeah, but Dark City did come out before Matrix. I didn't watch Dark City until after I had seen the Matrix. So to me, in my mind, Matrix came out first. Um, mm-hmm. But I, yeah. Both equally amazing movies. Indeed. Yeah. There it is. Yeah. Uh, so let's see. What do we got? Uh, oh, we're never going to get through this. That was only the director. Um, <laughs> writers, David J. Shaw and John Shirley. Uh, Shaw did Leatherface, the Don't Texas Chainsaw Massacre. I, I will not. Um, Texas Chainsaw Massacre 3, The Search for Spock. Critters 3, The Search for Spock. And then Shirley did Eclipse and Deadfall. Producers were Edward Pressman and Jeff Most. Pressman did Wall Street and American Psycho. Most did hmm, The Specialist, doing that one next week, and then Hackers. A composer was Graham Ravel, who did From Dust Till Dawn and Sin City. Cinematographer was Darius Wolski, who did Pirates of the Caribbean, Curse of the Black Pearl, and Prometheus. Editors were Dov Hennig and Scott Smith. Hennig did The Fugitive, Hard Rain. Smith did Last of the Dogmen and Falling Down. Uh, production company was Dimension Films and Miramax Films. Budget $23 million. Box office $94 million. Uh, Flick Metrics gives it a 73%. Cinema score could not get a cinema score for this one. Let's see. Characters and actors in this one. Brandon Lee, who died in 1993 since this movie was being made, played Eric Draven. He was in Rapid Fire and Showdown in Little Tokyo. Ernie Hudson was Sergeant Albrecht. He was in Ghostbusters and Miss Congeniality. Michael Wincott was top dollar. He was in Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves, and Basquiat. He was Rochelle Davis, played Sarah. She was in Hell House and Trespassers. Bai Ling played Micah. She was in Red Corner and Crank High Voltage. Sophia Shinnis was Shelley Webster. She was in Terminal Velocity and the Outer Limits TV series. Anna Levine, uh, also known as Anna Thompson, was Darla. She was in Unforgiven and Dogville. David Patrick Kelly was T-Bird. He was in The Warriors and Twin Peaks TV series. Uh, Angel David played Skank. He was in Platoon and Kiss of Death. And Lawrence Mason was Tintin. He was in Hackers and The Lincoln Lawyer. All right, some quick trivia on this one. And uh, if you guys have any other trivia, feel free to jump in. But So the first couple things I've got, this is an adaptation of James O'Barr's 1989 comic book by the same name, which he actually created to deal with the death of his fiancée. If I remember correctly, I want to say she was killed by a drunk driver, and this writing this story was his way to to deal with her death. Um, that is correct. Is that correct? Okay. It was a drunk driver, yep. Okay, yep. that's what I thought. For the wedding. Yeah. He went to the military, he went to the Marines to deal with it. Yes. Yep. Yeah. And then, so the, this is part of the story. I mean, we're not going to talk about this movie without getting into this, but... The, this is obviously the, the movie where Brandon Lee died uh, because of an accident mm-hmm. involving a prop gun. So the, the information that I was able to pull together for this were that in some scenes they were using real bullets uh, without gunpowder to try to enhance some of the realism of close-up shots. And then on March 31st, 1993, at the studio they were filming at in Wilmington, North Carolina, they were shooting a scene where uh, the character of Eric Draven is shot, and Brandon Lee was fatally wounded with that. Uh, It was a 44 Magnum Smith & Wesson Model 629 revolver, and it was supposed to fire a blank round. I believe it was a scene where... Uh, was it Top Dollar was supposed to shoot him, and it was... Fun, I think it was Fun Boy. Oh, it was, it was Fun a Boy? Fun okay. It was either Fun Boy or it was... Um, what was the other one? Um, 
I think it was. I want to say it was Fun Boy because the way it, I'm pretty sure it was Fun Boy. But the other guy, what's the other guy? It's it was. Yeah, it was it was one of them because you know what? Now that I'm thinking about it, it was the scene where he comes in on them attacking his fiance. Yeah, and they shoot him and push him out the window, and but it was supposed it was to be a pretty fun boy, the other one. But yeah, I think it was fun boy. Who's the other? Something the guy in the car. I think it was the one. That, oh, it, uh, uh, one of those two. T-Bird. Yeah, it, might, T-Bird. it might have been T-Bird. It's either T Bird or Fun Fun Boy. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That actress has to respond because he like stopped acting for a while and didn't you know. Yeah. yeah. Um, so the the forty four Magnum was a the revolver was supposed to fire a blank round. However, there had been a I, I guess a mishandling of the prop gun and a real bullet was lodged in the barrel. And then the crew, because they were under time and budget constraints, they were kind of making their own cartridges for this. Um, and they were kind of inadvertently creating a situation where a bullet could become trapped in the barrel. Uh, I believe also the firearm specialist had been sent home earlier in the day and the prop, ascend- yeah, uh, prop you go assistant, home. we don't need you anymore. Yeah, like, we don't need you. Go ahead and go home. Um, the prop Great. assistant who did not know about some of these other safety procedures was the one who loaded the blank rounds and that ended up leading to this accident. So did I get most of that correct? Was there anything I missed? Well, I'll just clarify something because it wasn't the bullet left in there. What it was, was so there's a, there's a couple articles on one was from the Mm -hmm. post because it was like after the whole Alec Baldwin thing. Oh yeah. yeah. You go back and there's a story on an actor who fatally shot Brandon Lee in 1993 movie tragedy was also traumatized. And it is Michael Massey. It was Michael Massey. It was the one who was playing fun boy. Okay. So what it says here, and this is what I had looked up. I I had seen this before and I kind of remember because it was never fully just the bullet. And I, think part of it was because they were also i forgot there was a lot of other things that happened on set that kind of were happening and screwing things up a bit oh yeah uh, they were kind of like in a rush production yeah and there was like some rush about something somebody had fallen or what one of the crew whatever guys he was supposed to shoot him at close range with a harmless pistol but when massey fired the 44 magnum revolver the gunpowder in the blank cartridge ignited a bullet fragment mm-hmm. that became embedded in the barrel propelling it to lee's body about 15 feet away i remember they said it was like a quarter size hole in his abdomen that hit off the glo- the, the bag that he was carrying because he was walking in with the bags the fragment was apparently part of a dummy shell that became lodged in the barrel it was was known as a squid load during a previous scene without anyone realizing and hit Lee with virtually the same force as a live round. So the actor died on the operating table after six hours of emergency surgery, leaving Massey devastated and forcing him to take a lengthy sabbatical. And he did it uh, in the new 2016 article about the character's actor's death from stomach cancer at age 64. So you wonder how much of that played a, a role in that too. Yeah. Because like just the, the fact of that, yeah. He said, what happened to Brandon was a tragic accident. It's something I'm going to have to live with. It took me time to to look, it took me the time it took to be able to, to not so much to be able to not so much put it in perspective, but to be able to move on with my life. He told Extra in 2005. It's very personal. It's something that I want to make sure when I work it that it's never repeated. Therefore, I'm very conscious of everything's going of things going all on set. So yeah, so it was a bullet fragment because what I had heard was they did a close up scene of something with the gun and they used those real bullets and something with that and then all of a sudden they took those out very quickly and they didn't make sure that the complete chamber was clear and it was just a fragment a lead fragment that was in there the lead fra- the lead fragment when they re- reloaded it with the with the blanks the obviously enough force to push out the that that lead lead fragment and that's what went through and put like i think a quarter size hole in them is what we had seen and they didn't realize it until after that he was down and bleeding so yeah yeah yeah. Um, a sad loss. Yeah. 
Well, and, and because of all this, so one of the interesting things about this movie, too, is that because of his death during the filming of this movie and they were trying to decide if they were going to finish the movie to begin with, there, there were thoughts of not even finishing the movie. Mm-hmm. But one of the other interesting things about this, some other interesting trivia, is this is one of the first movies where you had a lot of digital work done to replace a actor who had passed away, whether face or body. And there were several different examples of this. This was the first, actually, I believe this is the first digital face replacement um, since Jurassic Park. I think last year, 93 would have been the last year for us on the show here. That was the first time it happened was in Jurassic Park. And then this movie used it more extensively because they oftentimes were putting his face on a body double. Most of his scenes had been filmed. My understanding was he only had about three days of filming left. And so they had, you know, inserting him into the film with different backgrounds and there's a scene where when he first enters the apartment after digging himself out of his grave there's footage of him walking through an alley where rain was digitally composited into the scene there's a shot of him falling out the window that was made by digitally compositing his face with simulated blood onto a body double the the scene where he puts on his makeup when he becomes the crow for the first time was filmed using a double the face in the smashed mirror was his computer altered face to fit the shards of glass uh, there's also a scene with an image of Eric David walking towards the window with the crow on his shoulder that was a double with Lee's face added with some lightning flashes in the background so a lot of stuff probably being used in that way for the first time or to that degree also ended up happening because of his death during the making of this movie so and there were some other CGI advancements were made because of the necessity of wanting to finish the film. Yep. And then I know one of the uh, other things too is like obviously shadow work and stuff and where they did things in the shadow with the stunts stuntmen as well and use that. Yeah. Um, but one of the, I guess the, the more plot story changes too was there was supposed to be another character that was supposed to be the guide, like a guide of him. I forgot what the name of the character yes. was. And because of him not being able to interact with him and film those scenes, they just thought it would be stupid. So I remember they said it wouldn't make any sense and people would be. So that's where then the, the voice of the girl becomes kind of your narrator in this case and instead of the other character being there they just took that character out yeah yep all right you know this uh, i mean i don't know we'll probably get back into it but i this and it may sound weird because it's it's i'm I'm using a a movie and then i don't know why but like when i watch this movie the only thing I, i was trying to think of comparing it to was um whenever i watch the great escape and since we were kids Whenever I watch that movie, I always think or hope that when I watch it this time, that that Steve McQueen gets away. He's able yeah. To yeah, you want him away. to get that like jump. You always, yeah. no matter what, when you watch it, what's going to happen, but you actually suspend the idea in your head and you think maybe this time when I watch it, I remember as a kid thinking he's going to make it, like he's going to make it, he's going to get away. And so, so there's a certain disappointment to that. And with this movie, whenever I watch this movie, I just picture him living. Not like as a character, but as the actor somehow. And and it's a it's a bittersweet, weird feeling that I get from this movie when I watch it. And it's because it's it's so good and it's such a shame and it's that that he didn't get to be in more things because the very very Heath Ledger ish too. Heath Ledger obviously had a long body of work before him that preceded his death, but at the same time when you see the performance in the Joker. 
you're just thinking, God, like how many more awesome characters would this man have, have portrayed? And I think that while maybe you can argue like he wasn't at that level, but like for this character, I'm just like, there is, they did all those remake and not remakes, but sequels. And I'm just like, Brandon Lee's the crow. Yeah. Brandon Lee's the crow. It's just, it's, it's a love story too. It's like kind of not the whole thing of it just being a, a vengeance movie, but it's, it's, it's very much a love story and that works because of him. And I, I don't know any other character that, yeah, just, it was, it's, so I always, I always have the weird mixed feeling when I watch this movie. Yeah. Because yeah. there is that melancholy sort of feel to it as well. Like it's so good. And it, and, and while on one end, I think that's, wasn't it the, 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 was it his fiance that wanted them to carry on with the movie or the family, or it was, who gave it kind of its blessing because they were going to stop and they weren't going to do it. Yeah. It was Bradley's family. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like, so glad that they did yeah. because it like, like that could, would have been lost if they just buried it. Right. Right. And it, it would have been a disservice to him as well. So, yeah. It's just a tragic man. It's just, it's, it's a weird, yeah. It's a, yeah. <sighs> yeah. All right. So we're going to give you the synopsis. We're going to play the trailer audio for you. Then we'll run through 10 major moments to kind of break everything down. And then we'll get on into some of our deeper thoughts, talk about the first times we saw this one, and go from there. So, in a world ravaged by crime and corruption, Eric Draven, resurrected by a mystical crow, returns from the dead on a relentless quest for vengeance. With the help of Sergeant Albrecht, he faces the brutal gang led by Top Dollar and his ruthless partner, Micah. In the shadowed streets of the city, Eric's undying love for Shelley transcends death. In this tale of tragedy and retribution, the crow where justice is eternal. People once believed that when someone dies, a crow carries their soul to the land of the dead. But sometimes, just sometimes, the crow could bring that soul back to put the wrong things right. So the 10 major moments for this one. We start with Shelley's attack and Eric's death on Devil's Night in Detroit. Shelley Webster is brutally attacked and her fiance Eric Draven is killed by a gang. Sergeant Albrecht comforts Sarah, a young girl who is close to both Shelley and Eric. We will find out later that Shelley was working to try to make some things better in the neighborhood and the gang attacked her specifically because of that. A year later, a crow is tapping on Eric's gravestone and resurrects him. He returns to his old apartment where he is haunted by flashbacks of the attack that night and discovers his newfound healing abilities. Guided by the crow, Eric finds and kills Tintin, one of the gang members responsible for his and Shelley's deaths. 
Eric forces Gideon, the pawn shop owner, to return Shelly's ring and then destroys the shop, leaving Gideon alive as a warning to others and to the gang. After killing Funboy, another gang member, Eric confronts Darla, Sarah's estranged mother, compelling her to reconsider her life and care for her daughter. Eric meets with Albrecht and shares his supernatural experience, learning about Shelley's prolonged suffering before her death and wanting to avenge her death even more than he had before. Eric kidnaps and kills T-Bird, another gang member, setting his car ablaze in the process. During a gunfight at Top Dollar's meeting, Eric kills Skank, the last gang member. Top Dollar and a few others escape. Eric goes to rescue Sarah, who's been kidnapped by Grange, one of the gang members. During the confrontation, the crow is injured, weakening Eric's immortality. And then finally, Eric faces Top Dollar on the church's roof, transferring Shelley's pain to him and leading to Top Dollar's death. Eric then returns to the grave, reuniting with Shelley's spirit, and Albrecht and Sarah are left to move forward. Those are our top ten major moments. And now we're going to get into some of our deeper thoughts. And now, deep thoughts. I have an opinion on this matter. Don't mince words, Bones. What do you really think? I like it a lot. Wow. It's very deep. Thank you. All right. First time you saw this one. Pat, you said you saw it in the theater? Yeah, we went to the theater and saw this guy. I'm trying to think. Was this when the original came out, Pat? Or was this the re-release that they did at theaters? They released this, re-released this in the theaters later, some years later. I I, I saw it I saw it in 94. I went I was in high school. I'm trying to think. Yeah, I was I was like sophomore, junior in high school. And yeah, we went out and all saw this. Nice. Yeah, I didn't see this until a little bit later. This I saw. When did I see this? I feel like I saw this with friends. I think I was still living in England when it came out. I think it came out on video, and I think we rented it, and it was probably we were over at somebody's house, and they're like, yeah, I just got a copy of that movie, The Crow, and so we all sat down, we all watched it. I don't remember seeing it in the theater, but I definitely remember watching it pretty soon after it came out. So this was probably a, a rental for me in middle school and loved it because I remember I would pick up the they had a couple of different comic book magazines that they did over in England and I remember there was a lot of kind of a lot of buzz around the comic book like people picking up the comic book now that the movie had come out and so I remember getting some of those comic magazines and that they would they'd be commenting on the movie and commenting on the original comic and and all that stuff and obviously Mm -hmm. there's all the story about Brandon Lee being killed so it was kind of it was a big deal in all those magazines as well but yeah that was was not a movie going experience for me it was a it was a rental this was the first time I'd seen it Oh, really? Oh. We were wrong. We thought maybe Pat, and then you, we thought I was wrong. John was right. I thought, I thought Bo for sure saw this, but all right. Hold on, hold on. I, I was recording that, right? If I got the... Okay, yeah, good, good, good. Okay. Yeah, I was wrong. Well, I, I, have, a, I have a multitude of questions. Bo, first time watcher, what, if, I, if you don't mind, John, if I jump in here. No, go for it. What'd you think? I let, like initial reactions. You know, it was interesting. It took me a little while to get into it. I just, I don't know if it was a headspace thing at the time or what, but I was, I think it just took me a little while. But once I got into it, I liked it. I Got think 
it was hard not to place it in since it was the first time I'd seen it, it was hard not to think about it in today's terms. And I was, I felt I was missing some story at times and knowing what I knew about it going in, I didn't know if it was related to the fact that he died. Maybe they didn't get to shoot some stuff. And the more I read, it sounded like, no, they pretty much shot all they planned to. There were definitely some points where I was like, could he use a little more story there? And I don't know if that's, the style they were going for or if it's just me wanting to know more like I wasn't sure why I just felt like there were some points where I could have used a little more backstory maybe a little more I don't know so I'll have to jump in what 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 parts do you feel like you need more backstory in I I don't think I quite like I don't think I got the whole thing with the crow being connected to his power like I, I feel like that took me a long time for it all to settle in for me I don't know I, I it was definitely stuff where I was like oh okay I get that now and maybe a little more of the I think I had trouble keeping the the bad guy straight for a little while I was like wait a minute who works for who here <laughs> and I was like okay I just it took me there was a few points where I just felt like I needed a little more And, and the reality of it is, I know there's a couple more of these. If I read everything correctly, and yeah, they did some sequels. Maybe it gets explained more there. I don't know. I, I think with the crow, it's best to take the Highlander philosophy, and there can be only one. Ah, well, okay. yeah. don't don't watch. The I rest. agree. Yeah, <laughs> I mean the Vincent Perez one was was a little bit like watchable, but like I think Which it was one? the third was that, one. Uh, City of Angels. Or was, was the third yeah, one. Yeah, I think it was City of Angels one was oh, a okay. little bit, but not like oh. no. It's there's still like like John said, there's only the one crow. I and, and, and honestly, I don't even know if I've seen the other ones. I feel like I've heard about the other ones, but I feel like I just kind of said, you know what? If I'm going to watch the crow, I'm just going to go back and watch the crow. I think I only saw the City of Angels one with Vincent Perez. I think okay. that was the only one that I ended up watching. It was on like cable or something, and I ended up sitting down and watching part of it. I was like, yeah, yeah. yeah. But yeah, no, no, nowhere near. Yeah. It's interesting because like I, if we were because a lot of time, I think I think I still have never done the the, the top movies and all that thing that we're supposed to do. But oh yeah, that thing from like seven years ago. Seven years ago, yeah. <laughs> I'm still waiting on your episode, Dennis. I was waiting for a phone call. Um, I think we should just not do one with AI. But, um, we should make an AI Dennis and do the episode that I, way. I feel this like I've recorded enough of Dennis's voice. I'll just record his episode, and it'll just be him saying, yep, John was right. I was wrong. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's put in, like, every single other episode. I'll just, uh, you know what? I'll list my top five movies, and then I'll just have a sound clip of you going, yep, John was right. I was wrong. <laughs> Those movies are better than what I was going to say. You just use the I was wrong part in the um, episode with, with falling down with me and Pat. Yeah, there you go. I think you just need to take the words that Dennis has spoken over the years and piece together words that say, my favorite movie is mm-hmm. Howard the Duck. There you go. Oh, oh look at that. Uh-huh. <laughs> oh, low blow. Anger. Mm. Anger. Rising. <laughs> Speaking of Avengers movies, <laughs> we're winging. No, note to self. <laughs> yeah, I, I, on this movie, I would, I would actually like. I 
this would be one of my, it would be in the running with one of my top 10. And I don't know if it's the time period. And I don't know if that's what throws some of this off or makes it more meaningful for one person over another. I don't know. Like, as you saw it, like the, I'm, I'm old enough to know the Brandon Lee thing and I'm devastated. Mm-hmm. The Brandon is dead. I don't know if that plays into the experience of the movie or not, but you already know. And I felt like there was enough. And I, like I said before, it's really a love story. And I think like the flashbacks do just such a great job of, to me, filling in the holes that you need for that story. And it explains in the beginning where the girl says like that, that you can't rest. And that basically the crow gives you this, there's this, this ability to, to come back and right the wrong so that you can rest in peace. And I think it sums it up. I think it finishes it. You got these bad guys who are kind of ruining the town. It creates this fictional or what seems very realistic little space on the, on the planet where just, you just feel like there's no, either the cops are really can't do much. And there's a helpless feeling for everybody. The streets, it's so dark and it just creates this, this, feeling run by crap that's just i don't know i don't know if there's much more to really to fill i don't know what i would be and and i would have deemed this as one of those movies that i I often use the phrase of like if i were to rewrite this is there something i would have done differently other than brandon lee not getting killed in this film i don't think there is so i think it works really well and i think even every character is just like ernie hudson the girl the bad guys. I could pick them all apart. Like I kind of knew all of them. They're all sitting around the table and right from that one table where the fired up, fired up. It's just like, you, you know who the people were, you know, I just need to know that these people are just kind of just nasty, evil people. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And there's a good force that comes in. That's not a monster. That's doing this out of like, you can't rest. And the pain of like the the whole transition sequence when he comes out, I love that because it's not like he just pops out of the dead, like this monster and goes ahead and starts kicking. It's like he, he, he's, he, he goes through pain. Like the first thing he does is scream. And then as he's walking, he can barely walk and he's pulling the clothes off. And as he goes up, he's stumbling almost. And his hands are trembling as he opens the door. I just felt like all that was so good to just let you kind of really end this guy's pain. And even the line at the end where he says, I've been carrying this pain for so now, whatever, and now it's yours. I'm giving it to you. I mean, all of that is there because he's not like a perfect kid. It took, took him a little while to understand that he was invincible, that he had this power, you know. And then finally he does that kind of free fall, fall off the thing, you know, and that's the moment where he kind of laughs at the bottom. It's like, uh, like he's kind of got this, like, dude, I can do this type of thing. And even then there's moments of, it's, it's a weird, weird portrayal, but I think like, I don't know why I used to think of like the last temptation of Christ with Willem Dafoe. Oh yeah. Uh-huh. He played a very confused Jesus and it's like, I'm God. I'm not, how dare I think I'm God or the son of God. Like he, he struggled with his divinity because he was a man and divinity. And I feel like there's a lot of that here where here's this guy who has these supernatural powers, but doesn't quite get it. He's still sometimes hurt and still sometimes affected. He didn't fully like, he didn't turn in this invincible Superman just walking down the street. And I think that just, that's a powerful, powerful film. In my opinion, it's a love story. So. I really like Brandon Lee's voice in this. I I think, I think because he's just like, well, Dennis, did I interrupt? Did you want to? Uh, no, no, no. Go ahead. This is, yeah, I, I actually took, this is I, one of the times I took notes on this movie again when I rewatched it. So well, I and I, I, I'm curious why you think I didn't see this movie too. I'm, I'm just, I'm just curious your thought process too. But I, I loved his voice because, and this is going to be recency bias. I feel like so many of the movies that we watch now 
the main character or the whatever is going to talk like this or is going to do the Christian Christian Bale in Batman, which I don't want to disparage that because that was kind of the first time it happened. And I don't want to hate on it, but it's like now every character speaks with this like gravelly tough guy voice in this. I think the way he delivered the lines really humanized him through the makeup. He had such an innocent voice. It really, it, in a way it normalized the fact that you're dealing with like an undead superhero kind of thing. Right. Yeah. It, it, in a good way, it took a little bit of the mystic out of it because the, the imagery was mystic. The fact that his hand would heal was mystic. The paint was mystic. The flashbacks were missed. Everything was. But when you had the interactions with him and the kid or him and Sarah, the girl, yeah, or the, yeah, cop. the cop, yeah. it was just like three people talking. Do you know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? And and I, I the, the Brandon Lee's voice, like that choice, really, that was like the link to who he really was, or who he was previously. Like I think there is where he's like. It, it also had elements of, and I'm going to probably compare this a couple times to like the portrayal of Heathrow Ledger with the Joker where they disappear in that character and it becomes, that's why I said there's no other, to me, there's no other crow besides Brandon Lee and there's no other Joker now besides, in my opinion, Heath Ledger. But like, he does actually get a kind of a weirder voice at times. When he's with Tintin in the alley, there's a part, I don't I forgot what he says, if it's something like this, and I'm sure you'll, there's there's a couple things where he, where he says where he almost sounds demonic to a certain point because he's just the, the the rage inside of him. And then there's other times where it's very quiet in tone and very innocent. And it's like, especially when he's talking to Sarah and things like that, can't rain all the time. You know, the little funny things he says too, where it's like, uh, with what's his name? And you're wearing, you're still wearing your hat. <laughs> like, yeah. like yes. there's, <laughs> there's, there's, there's so many of those things that like he balances, like it comes out of him at certain times. And, and, and even with the Tintin, when he talked about the struggle, if you remember when he had him up against the wall and he's got Tintin like at a disadvantage right now, he's ready where he can just kill him basically. And he all of a sudden Tintin talks about, yeah, I shanked that da, 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 da. And like basically insults his wife and he just drops his head in pain. Like he can't hear that. And he's like becomes human again, like where he's just like totally like like vulnerable. And then the guy hits him and then he gets away and then they, they the fight ensues. But but it's like those little moments where he's just struggling with this, like he's he's still this hurt. The grief that comes out from his character is immense. Mm-hmm. And I think he just does such a great job of the vulnerability with the grief, with the power. There's moments where he's powerful and he has great lines when it's like just victims, aren't we all? And then there's other just it, it's just it's just perfectly done. I just don't know where I would have changed anything. I think the mother line, for a child. Mother oh God, that is, quote's awesome. I've yeah. used that. that yeah. I oh man, I, I can't do it justice. I can't remember, but it was basically mother is the name for, for God. The lips and hearts of all children. Do you understand? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And then he, he grabs her arm. Line, it's like bam. Yeah. You don't have to say anything else. It's just like that's it. Yeah, like amazingly says that and it changes. And then like even that scene with the girl where then the girl's like having breakfast with mom and mom's making eggs and she burns them. And that's such a great scene, too. Like, I don't know, like character development. I'm not sure how much more I wanted because, you know, this is the girl that's pretty much been taken care of by them. And she has got a mother who's strung out. And, you know, that bat- you, you could fill in the gaps of the story is my I guess my opinion on it where you don't need to see all that because you kind of know just through the scenes you do. And I think that's also such a such kind of a touching scene where where the girl like starts to be like kind of pissed at mom and she's like 
says something to her and then the mom's like oh, i've never been good at this mommy stuff and she's frustrated she's gonna throw away the eggs and she's like stops and she goes no 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 over easy over easy i like them over easy like little moments like that I just i think we're i don't know i just love this film yeah well i love all the all the kind of the the dark and grittiness of it like how it, it fits so well with like some of the elements of like a film noir and and just and I feel like I feel like the director didn't I read somewhere the director had been a music video director. Yes. Yeah. And it's, yeah, it's some of those like stylistic choices. Before. It's like the stylistic choices of a music video director that we see in some of the other movies we've covered where originally this director did music videos. There's just there's something visually different about that. And I think sometimes that doesn't work for a full length movie. But in this one, it does. It absolutely does. Yeah. Yeah. The window exit with the shush. <laughs> like, yeah. I, I'm guessing, my guess is the way they filmed that is he crawled into the window and said shush. Yeah. And they reversed it. Oh, yeah. Because the way he does it, it's like it sucks him out. Yeah. You know? And it's like the way I played that one back a few times, I'm like, I think that's what they did. He probably crawled in, said shh, and then they cut. And then basically you do shh, and then you just reverse the film because it like almost sucks him right out like yeah. a, like a, like a, like a shadow. Yeah. You know? And then, like you said, the walking down, I love the scene where he's walking down the alley and they film it through the heat of the fire. Mm-hmm. So it's got that warped kind of like asphalt heat coming up when you see the in summer, when you see kind of the, yeah. the, the, what do you call it? The kind of, what's the term for that? Just the heat, you know, the simmering heat, like you get, it kind of blurs and distorts the, the, the visual and he's walking down the alley with that kind of pose. And that's kind of the poster I think for the film too, is maybe mm-hmm. that shot yeah. the window scenes, like where he's up by the window. It's just, yeah, there's just, it's visually, it's just a phenomenal film too. I just so many cool shots in this. And I, I, I do love about this movie. Like a lot of people refer to this movie as a superhero movie because it's based on a comic book. But what I love about this is there's so many different things where it even kind of pokes fun and really kind of subverts a lot of those superhero tropes. Uh, one of my favorite lines in the movie is when he and the police sergeants are sitting there and he's like, it, it makes me think of Batman. And he's like, you're going to vanish into thin air again? He's like, no, I just thought I'd use your front door. Yeah, yeah that was good. <laughs> the whole vanishing thing is like played throughout it. And then yeah. at the end, it's like with the girl when he go, he, he does that a lot. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah there's the, 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 the scenes when he dances away too, or he uh-huh. does a kind of side shuffle off. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's like a little bit of a, if you mixed the Joker with Batman into one yeah. character, like you, you've got a, a, a good mixture of it. Yeah, you shouldn't smoke the, these. They'll kill you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the guitar solo visuals. That's like when you talk oh, about yeah. music. The music I was video, thinking, yeah. oh my god. Yeah, the guitar solo is just two of them, and it's like when he's on the roof and he's like, it's yeah. Try harder. Try again. This movie, in a lot of ways, this movie is so very '90s. Like, there's so much about it that you see it later on because we get. At the end of the 90s, you've got the Matrix. You've still got everybody in their kind of very goth-looking costumes, the, the long black trench coats, the, that whole aesthetic. And I feel like this is really one of the first times, it might not be the first time, but I feel like this is one of the first times where you really have kind of a mainstream movie that is featuring that kind of goth look to it. Um, yeah. But yeah, it very, very, and, and it just fits so well with the entire, the whole story, the the love story, the tragedy, the everything, the revenge piece of it, and just, and then thinking about, not just quote unquote 
like goth kids that might have had in high school, but like gothic literature itself, going back to some of the different themes that are in gothic literature, you know, it it's, does such a great job of bringing a lot of that into this movie so that if you if you know, you know, and you get some of the little Easter eggs that are dropped in there. I do love, even though a raven and a crow are, are very different things, I do love that he does a little quoting of Edgar Allan Poe's The Raven. Did really, you did you hear me? Cool. Did you hear me rapping? rapping? <laughs> yeah, rapping at your, yep. Yeah. And the, like, because I know, Bo, you said you didn't see the connection with the crow, but I think that the, one of the first lines of the movie is the part where it was, people once believed that when someone dies, a crow carries their soul to the land of the dead. But sometimes, sometimes something so bad happens that a terrible sadness is carried with it and the soul can't rest. Then sometimes, just sometimes, the crow can bring back that soul to put the right, wrong things right. So she says that at the beginning of the movie. So I felt like, and then when they're showing the eye view, the POV of the crow, and you could see, like, the crows looking at the guy in Tintin, like, it, and he's always present when he's doing something. And then when he's not present, you start, you know, I guess at that point you had already figured that out, like you said, correct? Like, is it got yeah, like, just, like when the crow gets damaged, doesn't have the power? a few things. I can't, I wish I could explain it better. I just remember sitting there going, hmm. I was confused. And again, maybe I just wasn't okay. in the right space when I started watching it. Because I did end up watching it in two separate sittings. Just because... Mm-hmm timing and things and like um, the look on his face when he gets shot at the end when he when the crow's already kind of like captured over and he's like now human sort of basically invulnerable and the guy shoots him in the church or whatever it was you know like the look of like oh god <laughs> like it's such a it's it's kind of like the look of of it's almost similar it reminded me of the in a weird way like i always think of some other film sometimes but it was reminds me of the look on mel gibson's face when he got betrayed by what's his name by bruce mm-hmm. and he like looks at him like oh. Yeah. <laughs> and then he kind of lays back down and dies like mm-hmm. or not dies but like lays down yeah I, like the quotes too like I, i'm sure john probably picked up the the john milton the, the quote the bash the devil stood and felt yes. how awful goodness is so from what i read about that because i remember looking up that quote the, what the actor who reads that in the flashback used that as kind of his motivation he would go to the poems of john milton or something and he was reading that book supposedly and that's somehow how that that's like interesting like how he got into like there was some connection with the actor i recall doing that and then he says it twice once in the flashback when they're killing doing the the murder of the two mm-hmm. and then he does it obviously before when when he's getting tied to the tied to the car and about to go off the 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 bridge or whatever and blown up or whatever so yeah so there's just like a lot of good like the quotes in there are just like it's just a very quotable movie i have used the can't rain all the time right. numerous times in my life when it like keeps raining like this and i'll say something to kids i'll say i'll just be like can't rain all the time you know i'm the only one who gets it because these kids mm-hmm. haven't seen the movie but right. i just use it still all the time What's, what was the line? There's oh. the one line. It's like a, a jolly, what is it? A jolly group of, jolly group of nicknames for a jolly group of, jo- jolly group of pirates or something like that. A whole oh, jolly yeah. club with jolly pirate nicknames. Yeah. Ah. <laughs> Let's see. Somebody took his blades and stuck them in all of his organs alphabetically. <laughs> <laughs> Our, our friend T-Bird won't be joining us this evening on account yeah. of a case of death. <laughs> like case yeah. of death, yeah. <laughs> and then when the other guy was just going completely breathing and high and, oh, T-Bird, I'm listening, T-Bird, I'm listening, yeah. here's to you, T-Bird. It's like, whoa, that's, you know, 
yeah. a little bit intense. But then, like the two main bad guys are looking at each other, like, "Shut this guy up!" You know, I mean. Yeah. <laughs> well, and, and you know, on this one, I'll I I don't know if I should drop the f bomb or yet it out, but it's like it's so good for it because that character is a villain again. I don't know if you're talking. I know it, like pertains to one of the questions a little bit about like what his like that guy's movies, but when he shoots the the the, the pawn shop guy. <laughs> Mm -hmm. or not shoots him stabs him in the throat and the guy's like (laughs) and he just says the line like say die will (laughs) you it's it's like it's just like a classic like this guy is like you don't want to mess with this guy so i think even in the in the short amount of time i don't know how much to get more i just get the idea that this guy is this guy's bad and he's smart where the other guys are his goons who are dumb Mm He's actually extremely intelligent and evil, which is scarier. And he kind of, there's just something about his character. Throw back to the the Dark Knight. I always think when he walks in with the makeup and they're all, all the bad guys are around the table and he sits on there, it reminds me of the scene when the Joker comes in and meets all the the, other, the gangsters. Yeah. With the knife and the, that whole thing. It kind of reminds me of the scene, the way he just kind of walks in right into the, the, the lion's den, yeah. basically, with him and just kind of sits on the table. Yeah. I, I do like that. I was looking at the at the list of quotes, and they have the the one. I saw him. He's talk, the Grange guy is talking to Top Dollar, and he's like, "I saw him too. He had a guitar. He winked at me before he jumped out of a fourth floor window like he had wings. He winked at you, <laughs> musicians." Oh <laughs> uh, yeah, it's just, oh yeah. They go whole jolly club with jolly pirate nicknames. Yeah. Suppose, yeah. Our, our fun boys line. Look what you've done to my sheets. <laughs> Yeah, like, that was, he's bleeding that everywhere. <laughs> yeah, that is another one. Yeah, I was gonna write that one down. Like, man, those those sheets really tied the room together. <laughs> yeah, no, it's just the manners. It's just I just love the dialogue in this film, and then it, like you said, it's got the very cool ones, but then it's got the very tender ones too, which. Also throw in the fact that, you know, Brandon died in the film in the making of the film. And it has a it's just a weird vibe to it, but, but touching and yeah. bittersweet. And, and uh, you know, and the main ones, I think, which also points to the author. So what's his name? So, um, oh, is it O'Hare? Right. I think. Which one? The, the, the writer, the guy. Oh, who wrote. Obar. O- Obar. Yeah. Obar. Um, the things like what's it it's funny you know sir you say it's funny little things but nothing is trivial you know that whole one about the little things mm-hmm. forget the exact wording of it let's see dead bang too that was a good one supposed to be a clown or something here little things used to mean so much to shelly i used to think they were kind of trivial believe me nothing is trivial you know it's just it's just gold for like knowing that it was the you know the guy who wrote this he was dealing with the death of fiance from a drunk driver there's also two things too like how one of the uh, tribute things i didn't get to add to was there were two things that stirred the way he wrote the film one was obviously yes the motivation was him dealing with the the death of his fiance but the second one was he there was a story in the news that he had seen where a couple was actually killed over a 20 dollar ring or something a fian- engagement ring or something like that and that was another motivation factor that led the story to go in that direction. So he kind of combined the two. The death of his wasn't a drunk driver. It was the murder thing. And he, but yeah, that was the two causes there. The really, really, the really real world. <laughs> this can't be you. This is the real world, really world. All right. Uh, All right. I think it's time for three questions. He asks each traveler five questions. Three questions. Three questions. 
impossible to answer. Impossible because you don't know the answer. Nobody could answer that question. I want to ask you a bunch of questions. I want to have them answered immediately. What you just said is one of the most insanely idiotic things I have ever heard. At no point in your rambling, incoherent response were you even close to anything that could be considered a rational thought. Everyone in this room is now dumber for having listened to it. I award you no points, and may God have mercy on your soul. All right, question number one. What is your favorite use of a bird in a movie, TV show, or literature? Once upon a midnight dreary, while I pondered, weak and weary, over many a quaint and curious volume of forgotten lore. I don't care whether you do the Edgar Allan Poe reading of the poem, or it's the Simpsons version, or it really doesn't matter to me. But any any iteration of the Raven, I'm I'm all good for that. With my, I, I have a runner-up, but I don't want to steal anybody else's, so I'll just I'll say that one for now, and then we'll we'll come back to it. But and this yeah. is the best use of a bird. What is your yeah? What is your favorite use of a bird in a movie, TV show, book? Does Howard the Duck count as a bird? Uh, yes. Yeah. <laughs> I think he does, Dennis. I think he does. Yeah. You said the word my the, the favorite or least favorite. Uh, favorite, but I mean I, we know that that's your favorite, so. Yeah, you've already said it. Yeah. I mean, so we've Pat, got what the was recording. Yours? I don't yeah, know Pat, what. Don't yeah, Pat. What, what was yours? Dennis gave his answer. So Pat, what's yours? Oh boy, I see how this is going. John's gonna splice together. I was wrong, and then he'll put about Howard the Duck. Uh huh. Uh-huh. I'm glad you figured that out. Yep. That's the house. This is how this works now. This is how favorite, we're rolling now. His, his favorite portrayal of a bird in, in any movie or TV show. Um, favorite use or favorite portrayal? I'm a, I'm a big fan of comedy and I'm a big fan of humor. And I love the penguins from Madagascar. Mm-hmm. Those guys crack me up in all their iterations. Mm-hmm. So, I did those. Yeah, that's my favorite part of that movie. It's so good. I'm gonna go Hedwig from Harry Potter. Mm. Solid choice. That was on my that. list. Yeah, that's beautiful owl. It's a beautiful owl, and just that's that's kind of the the whole that's Hedwig's theme is the Harry Potter theme. Well, no, Harry has his own theme, but like when you think of Harry Potter, we think of Hedwig's theme, and mm-hmm. and I'm I'm. Spoilers for Harry Potter. Harry's a wizard. Harry. Harry's a wizard. But no, how do I say this? Because I don't want to spoil it all. But when you see Hedwig's full arc, there's a huge emotional impact with that one as well. So, yeah, I think I'll I think I'll go with Hedwig. I really, I, I, I would, I would have maybe said Hedwig as well. For some okay. reason, it popped up right away, and I was just thinking all the birds in the movie, the birds. Mm, yeah. There you go. But, but that's so, not I mean, one, a solid use of. Yeah, there's like, not one particular yeah. bird though, so I that's would fine. probably, I would go with maybe Zazu from The Lion King. Oh, solid. Yes, the John Oliver version. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Outstanding. 
know, and then again, this movie, we just were, I guess, from yeah. throwing that out and thinking outside the bot, outside of something else. But like, God, this is just, I think it's a good use of this, you know. I mean, the crow gets the lady at the end, which is just, yeah, satisfying. Because she's just twisted. <laughs> it's, it's, yeah, that's, that's a little weird. It's, like, it's a little weird. There's a whole, and that's all you need. It was a weird vibe. Like when they wake up and the one girl's dead, and like, I think we broke her. You know, it's just yeah. like, yeah, yeah, I was just twisted. And even the the shopkeeper calls him, I think you twisted, like, is like, like even he has some sort of morals of that you guys have, like, surpassed. But, right. One of the trivia things that I forgot to mention that I make, I absolutely wanted to make sure that I mentioned this one because I don't know if you guys had heard it or not. When they met with the executives from the movie studio, they wanted to make The Crow a musical starring Michael Jackson. Had you guys heard that one? No. I had read that. Yes. Yeah. That he, James Obar, the author, I think this is on the Crow DVD extras, he's being interviewed, and he said that when he met with the executives, they wanted to make this a musical starring Michael Jackson as the Crow, and he thought it was a joke, so he started laughing at them. They were very, very serious. Wow. So, imagine Mm. that. Imagine this movie as a spiritual successor to Moonwalker. (laughs) (laughs) Mm-hmm. Oh God! Yeah. Uh-huh. And there is supposed to be a, 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 um, a, a new version of this coming out. Is it really? I was kind of wondering if they were going. Yeah, there is. They're going to redo it. It said something about twenty twenty four, and and I obviously balk at that right away and just be like, why? Yeah. Number one. But the only thing that would give me some hope, a glimmer, I still don't want it to happen. Yeah. Would be that, but the 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 same graphic novel guy is is writing is mm-hmm. part of the, mm-hmm. the screen supposedly here's here's what i would love to see do it as an anthology tv series like different people become the crow Mm -hmm. different reasons for the crow to come back different different means of vengeance different whatever yeah 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 that's that's what i would love to see yeah I think there was something either in the graphic novel. I don't know if it was the graphic novel, but I remember it reading somewhere that it was also slightly different that they were going to have that if he held, he, he could only he could only be trying to 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 really get vengeance for the for the dead. So for in this case, his fiance yeah. Jelly, and that if he was helping someone else, it didn't work, and he was vulnerable. And there was some sort of plan that that oh, there was okay. some sort of story written in where he goes to help somebody being picked down by somebody else who's alive, something like that or whatever. Gotcha. And somehow he's vulnerable at that point. There was some I remember reading something about that somewhere too. Okay. So there was just changes in the script that were here and there that they they kind of changed around. But yeah. Okay, so some of my runners-up for the birds, I would have said the birds, the Hitchcock birds. The other one, I went with a slightly different owl. I went with the barn owl from Labyrinth. Mm-hmm. So that would have been one of mine. And I was trying, there were a bunch of others that I had in mind, but I was like, nope, it's owl from Labyrinth, birds, and that's good. And the raven. All right, question number two. What's your favorite hero or villain who wears face paint? You're staring at me like I'm a bad man. Why? What? I'm going to well, go back to the last question and throw in a quick honorable mention. Yeah. Sam the Eagle. 
Oh mm-hmm. yeah. Right. There you go. And 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 Big Bird. Yeah. I'd say you could throw a Big Bird in there too, yeah. You are all weirdos. <laughs> oh, I know what I meant to mention. I meant to mention the power animal penguin in Fight Club. There you go. Slide. Yeah. All right. Sam the Eagle. Good call. Very, very American call. You're such a patriot, Pat. Mm-hmm. I am a patriot. Yeah. All right. Favorite hero or villain who wears face paint? I'm going to pull Mazuka and I'm going to give two answers. I'm going to go hero and I'm going to say, I'm going to say the crow yeah. in this case. And then I'm going to also say, I got to go with the Joker. <sighs> Just Jack Nicholson, Heath Ledger. No, the Heath Ledger version. Okay. Yeah. Not even the the Joaquin Phoenix, I feel like is pretty impressive, but yeah. like I think that might be my second place. You know, it's definitely not Jared Leto, but um, you don't like your Joker's all tatted up. Oh God, that was yeah, that was bad. <laughs> the uh, from the Oscar-winning movie uh, Suicide Squad. Yeah, jeez. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, so I, I I mean those two like I know they sound easy, but. They're just so good. And and I think in this one, they, they also talk about the face paint with uh, Brandon Lee that they tried. It was off a marionette pu- um, mask or something like that or a puppet or whatever. It was where they originally had it. And I think that's kind of why they then throw that mask up on the thing. But basically, they when they first did it, it was too bright because it was like makeup or whatever, something like that. And it looked too clean. And I guess they were saying Brandon Lee was also often sleeping in this overnight so that looked more worn. If you notice, it's oh, they yeah. tried to keep it same consistency so they didn't want to keep painting it over or whatever. Yeah. So it kind of phases the movie goes on a bit as well anyway, to a certain degree. He doesn't go keep putting it back on. Right. And if you notice by the end of the film, it's just kind of like you see the smile, but you don't see all the white on him again. So it looked, made it very realistic like this was happening in, a, in real time. So I, 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 yeah, I think that's just a great scene too, just putting on the makeup. And then, then the song, we didn't even talk about the music, but God, the, the soundtrack to this is awesome. The Cure Burn song is just phenomenal. Have you ever heard that thing live, which I have this past year from The Cure? Yeah, it's still, they played it at, at their concert. It's just a great, strong performance live too. Stone Temple Pilots and the great soundtrack. Trent Reznor. What else we got face, face paint wise? You going Beetlejuice? Mm-hmm. Mm, that's a good one. There's a couple honorable mentions in there, but I think Beetlejuice is the winner for me. Did I ever ask you guys? If, uh, if did, not the Joker, I could say yeah. the Joker in any of its iterations. Jack Nicholson. I mean, come on. But I think Beetlejuice. Did I uh, Did I ever ask you guys if any of you went to go see the Beetlejuice musical? No. No. I have not seen right. it. It is not, but some friends of... Donna's did and said it was very good. It was outstanding. Uh, it's I believe it's coming back to Chicago in March. So if you get if you get an opportunity, definitely go check it out. It was outstanding. I had a cool. great time. It was probably one of the most very fun cool. theater experiences I've had recently. For me, I was kind of doing the same thing. I was like, well, you've got you got the Joker. You've got a part of me wants to go William Wallace from Braveheart, mm. which I might I might do that. Some of the other options were you had some of the crazy face paint stuff going on in Mad Max Fury Road. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Permit. What's that? 
clown from it. Yeah, I I might do I might do William Wallace. I kind of thought Pat was going to go with when Schwarzenegger is putting on all the all the paint in Commando. That was one of the ones I was thinking of. Was it? Okay. I was definitely thinking of. Yeah, I was definitely thinking of that. The other one is this might seem like the outside choice, but you know the Brotherhood of the Wolves. Yeah. When his native the the buddy oh, goes yeah. in like the full makeup and goes on goes on the hunt there, he just looks really cool. Yeah. So I'd have to say that would be, that's like the one that just popped into my head like first thought. So I'm I'm going with that. Okay. I thought somebody was gonna say maybe the mask or I thought John might have thrown in David Bowie from Labyrinth. Oh, see, I wasn't th- I wasn't thinking of that as face paint. Hmm. He has it on. So I don't you know, know what I you know what I should have said though, especially if I was answering this oh. as a kid. Actually, I'm gonna I'm gonna amend my answer, and I'm gonna answer this as if I'm eight years old. Mm. I'm gonna say the Ultimate Warrior. Oh, there you go. Yeah, from WWF. That that's my answer. Who was the, who was the w- What's that? The villain or arrow? He was a hero to me. <laughs> I think he was probably a villain to all the mounds of cocaine. He probably did. Who was the wrestler that dressed up like the crow? And I don't know if he uh, meant to dress up. The Undertaker? No, it wasn't. No, Sting was the guy's name. Sting, okay. Okay. I'm sorry. I'm letting my former WWF fan. My my fandom is showing. That's fine. I'm I'm asking. I'm asking because I want an answer. Well, that that fandom stops in about 1993, so we're we're already getting beyond (laughs) my knowledge. The Johnny Depp, Mad Hatter. Oh, yeah. And Alice in Wonderland's pretty good. Yeah. We already talked about the Joker. Ralph Fiennes and Harry Potter. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, I know we talked about people with gravelly voices earlier, but question number three, what is your favorite Michael Wincut role? <laughs> That's easy for me, Robin Hood. There you go. Guy of Gisborne. I've yep. been struggling with Guy of Gisborne versus Rochefort and Three Musketeers. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, it's basically the same character, so maybe that's why I'm struggling. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I honestly think it's for me. Those are all good, and Robin, yeah, those are all great. I, I do like his character, and The Crow still is probably one of his favorite. Yeah. I would put in the top three, probably behind the Robin Hood one, that would be Along Came a Spider as well. Mm-hmm. One of my favorites, because I, I kind of knew that Robin Hood uh, and Three Musketeers would get taken as well, and The Crow. So one of my other ones is, I, and you guys know I love this one, Count of Monte Cristo from 2002. Mm-hmm. He plays Dorliac, who's yes. the kind of like the warden of the Chateau d'If prison. Yes. And he is just, he's so, he's so funny in that one because he's so sadistic, but he's also so bored. Yeah. <laughs> He's just like some of the little comments that he makes. He's just, yeah, it's it's sadistic ennui is what I'm going to call it. Now, I haven't seen this movie in a very long time, but the image of him in 1492 Conquest of Paradise mm-hmm. might as well be Guy of Gisborne and Rochefort just dressed differently. Mm-hmm. He definitely was typecast for, for a hot minute in there. Yeah. I actually forgot he was in Alien Resurrection. Oh, yeah. Yeah. 
He's got a very interesting, uh, very interesting. He was old Bill in the Westworld TV show. Mm-hmm. He and was on 24. It's just, it's a very interesting history he's got. Well, and wasn't he, um, did you guys see the movie Nope? I have not, but that's, that's this right. is reminding yeah. me to. He's pretty see good in that. He's good in that one too. Wasn't yeah, he no. the? Wasn't he the photographer that comes out to the farm? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. He's in that. Is nope. Is nope a good one? You guys recommend that one? It has its its potential. It was okay, but it, I, I was a little disappointed. I think I was expecting more. It's quirky. Yeah, it's not bad. I mean, it's worth a watch. It's not, but it's not like go go see it at the theater or anything right now. Yeah. But. It comes along on your uh, your Netflix or whatever. It's a it's worth a watch. Yeah, definitely quirky. Yeah. All right. Well, that is it for the three questions. That is it for this episode. Any any final parting thoughts? As yeah, no, because this is one of my top ten favorite movies. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm gonna throw a couple more and just I, again. Really I'm fast. never gonna get you to do your top ten uh, episodes, so let's just do it right now. Got to piece them together. Got to piece them together. There's a couple things again, because like John, like this is, I know you do this for a lot of your film, a lot of the movies, but like this one, I definitely took some notes on as I was watching it, but like all the things that kind of stuck out. But one thing we didn't mention was I love the use of color with the flashbacks. Mm -hmm. So the whole film is set in this very uh, dark, dreary world with rain all the time. And then you have the flashbacks. Flashbacks are where you only really there's really the movie where you see color other even like you don't really see the blood color when people get killed as much but it's it's kind of dark and then they have the red and blue in the background and I don't know if that's like works with the passion of like the color of their relationship because a lot of that some of that had to do with when they were like when they were showing them as a couple. I just think that like in the in the in the moments that you see where like they're cooking dinner and he's like, oh, restaurant, like all those little bits. It's like you really believe that these two people love each other so much. So I think it it's just master masterfully done through those flashbacks to me that you feel like the love and therefore you feel the pain for this. Like it's weird that you didn't have to see them alive together before that, like as the movie started and you li- and you don't see them then get killed. It all happens in flashbacks and somehow it's communicated so well that God, and then she, when she comes walking down at the end of the movie and she's walking towards the grave and, and there's the reunite and they're now both at peace. Like, it's like, God, it's just, I think it's just powerful part, but anyway, I'm going to go with two last quotes of this that we didn't cover. Yeah. And that would be the one that's the, one of the dark ones that I kind of like, which was really one of his coolest ones where he's like, he was already dead. He died a year ago. The moment he touched her, they're all dead. They just don't know it yet. Like, that's a cool, cool line. That's a Pat line. Anyway, <laughs> it's like the hands in the pocket line for Pat. They better stay that way. But um, I'm getting ready for GVC tomorrow with that one. Yeah, they're all dead. They just don't I'm just, know. I'm it. just telling you guys. I don't know if you guys know, but you're you're all you're already dead. Like the, from the moment we walked in and started putting up the GVC stuff on the slideshow, I just. That they were already dead at that point. Just, you just don't know it yet. And then the counter that with the love story one, which is I believe it's the last line in the film and spoken by the girl so eloquently, I won't do it justice. But if the people we love are stolen from us, the way we love, the way to have them live on is to never stop loving them. Buildings burn, people die, but real love is forever. Damn, freaking great movie. I love this movie. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I don't want to. I don't want to preempt your, your your final quote and everything. I I it? love it. Okay, because you brought the ending when he drags himself to the grave. 
And then the last thing is yeah. he colla- he just collapses. And that collapse was like a kerfump. Like that was like, oh. And then he reaches out to touch the headstone. That was such a powerful scene. And what I love is like, okay, he's at rest. And it, it, it gets into personal beliefs and all that kind of stuff. But I love it when movies then give their image of what happens afterwards. And I just love that she's there bringing him home. Yeah. I, 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 at least that's how I perceived it to be. I just, I just love that ending of how they, how they tie it together. Yeah. And, and like I said, it's just a weird thing of like, you don't really have a bunch of scenes where they're together. They're all snippet flashbacks that happen, like really like broken mm-hmm. up. Yeah. Yet somehow mm-hmm. you feel like this was such a great relationship that got destroyed and, and makes it somehow even just more tragic and more evil from the, from them. And so it's just right. it's very, it, it's weird that like, you don't really hear her talk too much. I don't think she has too many lines. And I'm like, but somehow she's just like the perfect wife, future wife for him that would have been. And, and he was in the way they were with the little girl and kind of taking her in, like they were almost like they can be the perfect parents, the perfect everything. And it's like, and this all got taken away because of some, some jerk. And it's like, it's yeah. I just love the film, man. I don't know if I said that (laughs) a couple times, maybe judge Dennis final judgment. What do you think of this movie? Oh, freaking awesome, man. <laughs> he he gives it eight knives in a corpse out of eight. And I'm just mm-hmm. curious. And I just wonder, though, like, too, if it's because, again, I know Bo saw it now, and I don't know. And I don't know if I would say it not holding up, like, because I think it holds up very well. But like John said, it's very 90s. It's got that music video sort of style. But I think it's just also, I think, watching it back then with somehow that sort of weird spiritual presence of like a Brandon Lee and just like, I don't know if that plays into the more, the more powerful because it's about a guy who died. Like he, he gets killed. And in the movie, like he dies literally for the film. Like it's, so all these quotes about like the little things and the trivial things, it's like, it seems to hit harder and like connect. And if you've ever lost people that are close, it's just, there is that kind of, how do you fix it? And if you, if it was somebody that was like, like in his, the, the case of the drunk driver, like you're so angry, what do you do with that anger and does it get solved and 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 can you just it would be nice to be able to say i'll kill all the bad people that did this to them and i'll have peace like i think we wish that would happen but when it's cancer or when it's a car accident or when it's something else that takes that person there is no villain to kill there's nobody that you can you can take out so i think that having that cathartic sort of moment where in this movie you are able to do that and achieve peace is 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 maybe part of the power if you wish that were true that you could just do it like that you know yeah and the guy says i think who wrote this that it didn't work that when he wrote this he was just getting angrier yeah yeah and and it just shows like you can't and that's why i think that quote about loving people is maybe the heart of what he came to is you you can't just you can't go and kill the drunk driver and then make yourself feel better you can't it's all you can do is love that person and there's always going to be that that wound yeah may heal Mm -hmm. may move on but so it's a very interesting grief movie as well as a love story and vengeance story yeah and and yeah if i i I really like this movie (laughs) you, you said that a couple times i think yeah all right, everybody. Well, we do really love this movie. This is a great movie. If you haven't watched it, we've just spoiled the whole thing for you. But go take a go watch it. I mean, you, 
it's well worth a watch even if we spoiled it all. Ever um, release it, go see it because I know that they did yeah. they do it sometimes from around Halloween times or whatever. And I know that yeah. it was probably back to relatively recent <laughs> in the nineties, but at IMAX they did it at the Navy Pier Theater and we went and saw it was the last time I saw it. So oh, I saw nice. it twice yeah. at IMAX. Oh nice, nice. All right, well, for the rest of February, it is our Vengeance slash Rowenge month. Our Patreon episode is Revenge of the Nerds from 1984. Patreon short is the Razzie Worst film Color of Night from 1994. This week was The Crow. Next week, we've got The Specialist with Sylvester Stallone and Sharon Stone. Pulp Fiction is after that, then Lion King, and then we get into March. That is the What Evil Lurks in the Hearts of Men month, starting off with The Shadow, because he knows what evil lurks in the hearts of men. Clear and Present Danger, Natural Born Killers, The Shawshank Redemption, and then our Patreon episodes are Rear Window from 1954 and the Patreon short Felly Day from 1994, which is going to be weird. So buckle up. It's weird stuff. We already shared in a previous episode, but yeah, I'm, I'm kind of looking forward to that one, question mark. We'll see how it goes. And I'm Ron Burgundy. I'm Ron Burgundy. (laughs) And I'm looking forward to this movie. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you, Pat. Thank you, Dennis. Thank you, Bo. Thank you, John. Thank you, guys. Great time. Great movie. All right, everybody. Be excellent to each other. Go watch some good movies. Remember, can't rain all the time. I really like this movie. Hey, Dennis, before we go, I forgot to ask, do you like this movie? (laughs) I love this movie.